Hello, family. One of the many enjoyable things about my work is that I get to meet some incredible people and they become friends along the way. This is the case with Elizabeth Vasquez. Now, Elizabeth professionally is known for her excellent leadership of We Connect. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her before we begin our talk today. Let me read to you what you'll find about her if you look her up. Elizabeth is well recognized as a name in the global supplier diversity and inclusion space and We Connect International, where she is the chair, is the nonprofit organization that she co-founded with member corporations providing women a platform to sell their goods and services in a global marketplace. Guys, Elizabeth is serving over 165 countries with women suppliers connecting to companies who seek to buy from them. Now, economic empowerment for women impacts local communities, we all know. And so when we look at what Elizabeth is doing, we can consider that over the course of the next year, We Connect International will track and aggregate and share the results, culminating to a celebration in March 8 on 2022 of all the work they've been doing through COVID. And this is a long-serving organization that has done so much, not only to support women suppliers to get opportunities, but to educate companies on how best to win from this connection. As Elizabeth will share with us, you know, the value proposition for doing business with women is incredible. So it's a wonder that we represent less than 1% of total procurement in some areas. Also, women are a primary decision maker in most goods and services sold throughout the globe. So she's doing work to help correct what she thinks is a gap and error in this uh, environment. Elizabeth also is a wonderful, wonderful friend. And so I'm really excited about you meeting her. She has a, an incredible backdrop, guys. I got to tell you about it because, you know, I love what Elizabeth stands for on a lot of levels, but she has a backdrop that I was particularly interested in. See what you think about it. Now, the painting behind her was made by an artist she discovered in an open market in Accra, Ghana, many years ago. And she keeps it behind her, she says, so that she can enjoy it on Zoom calls with people while remembering a happy time of adventure and purpose. And so let's get on purpose and have a really happy time as I talk with my friend and an incredible professional who's leading the way for women business ownership and advancement, Elizabeth Vasquez. Elizabeth, I'm so glad you're joining the family today. You know, my family is a broad spectrum of people and interests, communities, careers. I couldn't think of anybody better to have taught with them right now than you. And um, your journey here has been a real interesting one. I promised them you were going to share about Elizabeth growing up. Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about how you did grow up, where you grew up, what that was like. Sure. Thank you, Janice, for being such an amazing friend and leader. Um, I love this opportunity to just have a conversation. So growing up, I was uh, born in Mexico, 
so my father's Mexican, my mother's uh, American, and uh, they had uh, uh, myself, had my sister, and then my mom decided when I was three that it was not a good environment for us. And so she packed us up while my dad was at work one day and um, she moved back to the United States to where she was from. And it was somewhat of a precarious journey, but uh, we made it and we lived with my grandmother for a while. Um, my mom was uh, smart enough to ask for some government help um, to be able to survive that transition. And uh, we were raised in, in Arizona. And um, I learned at a young age that uh, not everyone is welcoming to diverse communities. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that being Mexican was not a good thing. Uh, and uh, apparently my, we came home one day from school like, crying and uh, my mom asked what was wrong. We said they called us Mexicans and she <laughs> said, well, you are. So we stopped crying and went outside and started playing. So, <laughs> what part of Mexico is your mom from originally? So my dad is from Guadalajara, Mexico. My mom's from Arizona. Ah, okay. So your mom had grown up in Arizona. You said that's why you guys <laughs> went back there. Uh, you know, she left Mexico to give you opportunity, uh, but going to Arizona certainly created challenges. And I see you every day in your life really addressing that from a professional platform. I think that probably informs a lot about how you approach the many communities you service, because right now We Connect has a membership that spans across how many countries? 125 countries. Uh, it's the number where the the women and businesses are based and of course the corporations we work with and the multilaterals like the UN and the World Bank the IMF they they worked all over the world um so it's a uh, it's an exciting time uh, finally to be a woman in business well it really is and I think that you have uh, impacted the ability for women to be in business, not just women who are already in business growing theirs. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, Elizabeth, how We Connect operates? I really want our listeners to be aware. So it's interesting. It's a global nonprofit incorporated in the U.S. because there's a U.S. organization called WeBank, Women's Business Enterprise National Council, that was created by really big buyers that want to buy from women and businesses. But it didn't exist outside of the U.S. So about 12 years ago, the buyers got together and they said, well, if it's good business to buy from women here, you know, let's let's find ways to find these women in other countries. Um, and so they created We Connect International and I got to do the incorporation. And uh, we started in the UK, then Canada, India, China, then Latin America, and then uh, Africa. And it's just expanded from there. So our role is to work with local partners and find women and businesses who want to sell into larger markets and develop their capacity to be competitive, um, certify that they're women and businesses and introduce them to actual buyers. And, and it turns out they do business with each other. And so having them be a part of a network that, that you're a part of, you are so inspiring uh, that, to show them that this can be done. You can think real big and uh, knock on the right doors and um, have an equal opportunity to compete for business opportunities. So um, I feel very fortunate to get to do this work. 
I'm going to be asking you a lot more about the services we connect provides and how people can join, how people can member to it or sponsor and support, whether they are woman-owned business or in business or not. But before we do that, I really want to talk about the platform that are or the economic, the social, uh, the financial platform that we find occurring today and how that is not just impacting women, because most people are realizing that, although certainly that's part of the conversation, but how what we need to be doing to uh, move the dial on that. I want to hear from Elizabeth. So thanks. It's, it's a great question because I think we can get overwhelmed when we think about inclusive growth, especially at a time of a global pandemic, um, how to take action in support of um, you know, your, your own needs, but also um, what's happening in the rest of the world, whether it's local or global. Uh, it's really important that we stop for a moment and realize how very powerful we are as individuals and leaders of, of organizations uh, that we are able to leverage things like our purchasing power, right? So it's an $87 trillion global economy. There's lots and lots of money out there. The question is, why do some communities, women-owned businesses, members of the LGBT community, people with disabilities or differently abled, ethnic minorities, Black-owned businesses, Asian-owned businesses, uh, Middle Eastern-owned businesses, why is it that we continue to be almost invisible as suppliers in these global value chains when we add so much value because we're on the ground, we see the challenges, we experience the challenges, we know how to deliver solutions and we're flexible and we're hungry for business. So there's a just a massive disconnect that the platform that we connect has developed in partnership with USAID, SAP Ariba, and several corporations like IBM, Accenture, Procter and Gamble, ExxonMobil, we came together and we said, Act One Group. Act One Group, absolutely, absolutely. How do we build a platform where we make it as easy as possible for supply to connect with demand. How do we make the invisible visible? And so now we have an actual technology platform in 10 languages that allows the suppliers and the buyers to come together in one place from all over the world to be able to do business together. What are those languages that currently you are allowing procurement and meeting to occur? Yeah, so there's 10 languages. It's all the world's major languages. It's you know, the English, um, French, Spanish, Portuguese, um, Chinese, uh, and then uh, other languages. Mandarin, uh, yeah. uh, and you've got German. So basically one can go to where to actually find out. Uh, we connect international.org and the women on business women on businesses can register for free uh, so they can join the network if they have a business uh, and uh, get to know other members of the community but also uh, they're able to describe what types of products what types of services that they um, offer uh, they get to access the we connect academy so we have training modules from experts like you sharing with them what does it take to knock on the door of big organizations um, and to compete and to win so there are a lot of uh, different 
programs. Uh, there's different conferences that we do with our partners. And um, it's just a great way to sort of demystify how value chains work um, and how to build assets. And before, before we leave this one train of thought, I really uh, want you to correct me or, or, or at least expand on it if I'm right. Uh, you don't have to be a woman to connect with WeConnect. That is true, especially if you're a buyer. So if you are um, looking to sort from a woman-owned business, we have an application process so that you can uh, share with us what are your intentions with the data that you're going to have access to. And if it's clear that you're a qualified buyer, um, usually these are very large organizations, um, but we're, we're inviting you in to come in and be able to search based on product, um, service, location, uh, size of company, certified, registered, whatever it is you're looking for, keyword searches, you'll be able to go in and find these women-owned businesses from around the world. So even if you have an organization you belong to or you head and you want to be uh, supportive or sponsor activities to help women, then WeConnect can connect you with how to do that if you're not a buyer. Absolutely. We do work with a lot of different types of sponsors um, that are looking for maximizing impact. So how do we work together to uh, make sure that the women of the world are starting and growing their businesses and be able to be more competitive? Uh, so yes, there's lots of opportunities to collaborate. Well, the reason I ask that is because as we look at all of the world has for the first time been focused on solving the same problem at the same time. And that's created a whole new set of problems, especially with COVID being a part of the conversation. Although certainly finance and economics and social justice have collided along with COVID to the top of everyone's attention. One of the things that's happened is that women have uh, suffered a lot through COVID whether it's employment or their businesses. And, um, you know, just to bring us up to speed on this, share your perspective on this, how this has happened and how not just we connect, but how the world, communities and individuals need to connect with women to support re-strengthening our communities and building forward. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it is we have to think of this as an opportunity to redesign our systems, how we do business, um, how we get solutions, whether it's in healthcare or um, uh, security, uh, any number of areas, technology. I mean, there are literally thousands of ways of looking at rethinking the way we engage, how we build our communities. What are the, what's the underlying purpose? Um, I think people are starting to think about, you know, how do we build into this joy, time with our families, um, it, the things that, that really matter. We have to redesign so that everyone has an equal opportunity to benefit, but also to contribute to how we rebuild these systems. And so I think this has been um, a really precarious and for many devastating um, year, but it's also forced all of us to reprioritize um, what it is we're doing and how we're doing it. And I, and I think that um, 
rethinking value chains, which is the main way that all of us have access to the stuff and the services that we need. Um, historically, there's been a lot of emphasis on consolidation and scale, but I think everyone is starting to appreciate the role of local, um, local solutions to local problems um, and how we ensure that, you know, everyone is pulling their weight, but also everyone um, is uh, going to benefit. And I think you had mentioned specifically the role of women and how many women are taking themselves out of the workforce so that they can care for their children and care for elderly and people, others with disabilities, but, but, but individuals that need help in their communities. But there's a monetary value to that. And I think we have to start paying for those things that we value and not just assume that women are going to be able to sustain the free services that we've always been providing. And it's not that men don't also do that. Obviously, we all make contributions, but it's just not sustainable. You see so much burnout. Um, and if you have, you know, half your population burning out and sick and not um, having the assets that they need and deserve to be prosperous and to help others around them be prosperous, healthy, educated, and strong, um, then we're all going to suffer. Um, and so I, again, think that we really have to rethink and use this as an opportunity to rebuild um, in a way that is, is a very different, um, but that reflects the value that everyone is contributing to make the life that we want possible. Well, I can tell you back in the days pre-COVID when I would attend WeConnect conferences or just see you at other organizations because I don't know how you do it, girl, but you run a huge and successful 100 plus country uh, uh, serving organization and you still manage to show up and support everybody else's NGO that's connected to the values you have. Uh, but one of the things that I've seen of you, regardless of where I witnessed it, is that you can think here, but you also can bring it down to the individual level so people understand not only what you're talking about, but how they can serve into it. Uh, give for us an example of how women are adapting, the women in your organization, to not just COVID, but to really the longstanding uh, issues that have existed for them. We get that corporations assist them. We get that WeConnect has set up systems to support them. But you're only doing that because these women are bringing something to the table worth doing that for. Talk with us about how women are doing that from their businesses, maybe from a product business as well as a service business, which can require different types of evolution. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point that we often talk about women's economic empowerment as if the outsiders are gonna come in and empower women, right? That the government's gonna do this or corporates are gonna do this. The truth is the world needs what women have to offer and other underutilized communities. We need them more than they need us. And that's the bottom line. Uh, and so we need all of us 
to take advantage and leverage all of the amazing ideas and solutions, products or services that women and other underutilized communities have to offer, but we just don't see it. We don't have easy access to it. But once you have awareness and you realize how much purchasing power all of us have and the ability to frankly source from each other, I think then you can really have impact at scale in a very short period of time. And if you take the example of women and people always say, well, why would you focus on women? They're half the population. They're not a minority. They don't need special help um, or they don't have anything special to offer. But if we recognize actually, yes, it's half the population, but in the case of women, and they own a third of the world's businesses, but they make or influence over 80% of the world's purchasing decisions, but they are like 1% of the spend of large organizations, which is a massive, massive market failure that we have to address very quickly because it means we don't get to benefit from all the amazing things that women are offering. And that's just one group. There are many, and within that group, there are women who are black owned businesses, Asian owned businesses, um, people who are differently abled, um, lesbian owned businesses or transgender businesses. These are all sub communities that have even frankly less access. And that is just a devastating, um, missed opportunity for, for the world to not benefit from the ideas, the inventions, the challenges that these communities face. Because when you make a building better for a person who is physically disabled, you make it better for all the rest of us um, to have you know, better, more secure, um, more stable uh, um, solutions within a building, just for example. So more, um, so I, I just think that- uh, And not just for the, you say for all of us, I, I really want you to hold your point because I gotta share something with you. I have a dear friend, Lorraine Arbus, whose uh, mom worked very, very diligently to, uh, get and sponsored. You remember the Jerry Lewis telethon? Uh, she was a sponsor of that. She had a child with disabilities. Lorraine had a sister with disabilities. And Lorraine shared with me that the wealth, and they are truly an American success story with respect to wealth. Her family helped to uh, bail Walt Disney out when he needed money. Um, but uh, there by the ABC, Disney connection. Her family was the ABC connection. And she shared with me that they could go anywhere they wanted financially for holidays, but they could only stay at a certain uh, hotel that would let them bring the daughter in in a wheelchair because all the other hotels would say it would be offensive to their guest or they were ill-equipped for the mobility of the daughter. Now we're talking about someone in our lifetime who was experiencing this. So very often we forget the histories that propelled us to create the present. And I think giving better attention to the present is how we improve for the future. So I wanted to share with you that, um, you know, when we think of disabilities, oftentimes we place people in one mindset, but uh, nature has not discriminated about whose family is impacted by a disability and your statement around, we support everyone, we help everyone. Boy, is that true. But we don't just help people. 
we empower people because one person's disability is no indication to their ability to contribute to the world. And we see this time and time again, and we see it at WeConnect in your women-owned businesses, don't we? We do. And I, I think a final point to, to what you just said with um, people with different abilities, it's not just the obvious, just as you said, it's not just physical disabilities, there are mental disabilities. And increasingly at a time um, when everyone is, you know, facing a global pandemic, you start to recognize that emotional disabilities, that people are disabled, not wanting to be able, you know, feeling comfortable to go back to work. Um, that may or may not be a legal disability, but, you know, it's all around us. It's not them. This is all of us being impacted in our families um, and, you know, in our communities. And so the more inclusive we can be and the more opportunities we can provide to encourage everyone who wants to start and grow a business um, to help the rest of the world, um, you know, have access to those innovations um, and those solutions, truly the better off we will, we will all be. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the work that Act One does, for example, um, in making sure that, you know, there are placement opportunities for people of all backgrounds um, and, and not just to be tolerant, but to recognize the, the value of having more choice um, with people with different experiences, different histories, different abilities um, to be able to contribute and make our organizations better, stronger, more resilient. And I think what COVID has taught us is the importance of resiliency. Um, and people who have been underutilized or under tapped in the world, um, the fact that they still exist and that they're thriving um, tells, should tell all of us that they ha have something special, that in spite of the challenges, they're able to be successful. Those are the people I want to work with. That is so awesome. And those, by the way, are the people you do work with very often as well. Um, I have uh, often thought of you when the conversation around inclusion comes up. And I've said on several occasions, if you want to experience it, if you want to see it, talk with Elizabeth Vasquez. Here's something else though uh, you touched on and I want you to go back to and maybe dig a little deeper in. And that is uh, the conversation around emotional disability. And you stated well that it is not necessarily a legally recognized disability, but it is having a lot of impact. And whether we're talking about women or whether we're talking about total population is impacting us in a lot of places, not just an individual's ability to perform, but it's impacting us a lot. Talk about that a little bit, Elizabeth. You witnessed that through your, uh, through both your uh, corporate sponsors and uh, your uh, women-owned business membership. Yeah, we actually spent a lot of time um, serving <laughs> and asking questions, right? Uh, just like you do every day. You ask, yeah. you listen. What is it that 
um, the buyers are going through? What is it that the suppliers are going through? And not assuming what they're going through and offering solutions that may or may not have any relevance to them. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in doing this work is you really need to be patient and you need to ask a lot of questions and you need to respond, try to anticipate, but that's based on being proactive in listening to your community or those that you serve um, because there are certainly going to be things that you didn't think of um, and that they're saying look this is something that um, would be helpful and by the way I can be a part of that solution so a lot of what we do is give space um, to the those that we work with those that we serve for them to provide the solutions um, to their own challenges and to connect them I mean a lot of it is just connecting um, and making it easier for those connections to happen and then it's pretty amazing to watch the magic um, when supply and demand connects when it's historically been challenging for that to happen, um, especially when larger organizations tend to work with larger organizations and smaller work with smaller organizations. Um, getting everyone comfortable with being uncomfortable becomes part of, uh, you know, what I do every day. Um, and I think that's, that's where really true systems changes can happen because you're getting everyone to think differently um, about their assumptions and about the art of the possible um, when when we rethink and redesign. Um, I, I just find it to be a lot of fun. Um, and it can be scary, right? Because it's it's exposing yourself to situations and to people and to big hairy challenges that can seem really overwhelming. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just people, right? We're all just people trying to figure out how to do right by our families um, and, and our communities. Um, and when we have that clarity of mutual respect and, and understanding and can be supportive of each other to, to thrive, um, then you know, really great things can happen. And you, you know, I love that you said that because um, you referenced a little bit about supply chain, and it's a perfect example of proof of your last statement. Um, there were lots of clients to uh, small companies or women-owned businesses, diverse-owned businesses, who thought that they were going to have tremendous failure because of COVID as they experienced failure in supply chain amongst their larger suppliers. I will tell you that as a customer to women-owned businesses of different sizes, as well as a woman-owned business providing to larger companies and smaller companies, I noticed that there were many instances that in particular, because these businesses were scaled as they were or were not scaled as they were, uh, weren't, uh, that they were able to be quickly responsive, they were able to deliver an emergency, but importantly, they were able to rethink how supply chain needed to work. There weren't as, as many parts to the girth of the decision around emergency. Your organization had women who performed in this way dynamically, yes? As much as the women were negatively impacted and they were, I mean, when we surveyed, we surveyed them every quarter since COVID started. And without a doubt, the vast majority had negative impacts in terms of, um, you know, 
customers in terms of uh, their own value chains and the raw materials they source or the people that they hire and having them be able to you know, come into work or be able to work from home. There were significant challenges, but there were an equal number of positive stories where the women were able to so quickly pivot and so quickly say, well, I can't get masks, but I can make them. And yes, that has nothing to do with what I do in my business, but I will make masks because I need my people to be safe. And I want my community to be able to get from where we are today to where we need to be in a very uncertain time. And even though that's not my core competency, I will learn it and I will make it my core competency. So the number of women-owned businesses that were creating hand sanitizers, that were creating um, personal protection gear, that were creating um, new infrastructure and logistics support um, was incredible. And we had so many of our corporate members who frankly couldn't get PPE from their traditional sources, who turned to our database of women-owned businesses who were suddenly producing at scale locally, regionally, globally, all the things that they needed. And it was instant. I mean, it was, it was fascinating to see how they stepped up. I mean, I just got a call from one of our largest corporate members um, last week who said, look, our people in India, and it's a significant percentage of their workforce, they need help and their communities need help. How many businesses can you introduce us to right now that are based in Europe who can get things to India? I said, okay, well, here's the list and here's all that they produce but wouldn't you also like to have a list of women in India that could deliver tomorrow and businesses in Bangladesh and bang- businesses in Pakistan and businesses in Sri Lanka? And they said, yeah, I mean, great that you could help us because our headquarters in Europe, but yes, we would also love them to, to get it there now. So yes, if you have that. So, and, and they did, and, and, and they're delivering. I mean, they were able to purchase, make instant purchase orders with, suppliers that could instantly deliver on these products and services and just to in such a short period of time see how everyone is coming together and being thoughtful about what they offer and who they get it from is really really rewarding and encouraging and how we pay people I know that uh throughout the day whether you you're on social media or network or cable. There were many messages in uh, the LA area and many communities reminding people to use local businesses, help them sustain through this. The value that many of the larger supply chain delivery companies offered was incredible and essential to so many of us. However, there were a lot of opportunities to get things locally that needed to be taken advantage of. And these decisions made by families and individuals were many of the decisions that helped to keep many of your uh, women-owned businesses in business, yes? 100%. I mean, everyone's openness um, 
and in, so, in many cases, desperation, right? You, they had to pivot. Like everyone used to think, oh, I'm better off going after, I'm going with the big companies. And that's still true. There's still huge benefits because there's consistency, there's quality, but um, uh, and, you know, there's a, an assurance that you know what you're getting. Um, having said that, we were all forced to give everyone a break and then everyone a chance to try to, uh, you know, get to us the things that we needed from toilet paper, right, um, to uh, other types of just day-to-day -day produce um, and things that uh, we sort of took for granted. Um, and then all of a sudden we never- And let's be clear, taking it to the very basic level, there were some women-owned businesses I knew of, at least two of them, who started to reintroduce the idea of reusable washable items like we use toilet paper or sanitary pads for. I think the sanitary pads really took off in terms of rewashable because they connected it to the hygiene and the environment. So we're having a real conversation. We're talking that it got as real as that for many companies, but for many communities, that became an essential because it wasn't whether or not those companies could get the products. It was where they lived when they lived in low local and rural communities. 100% because when girls and women don't have access to um, sanitary pads and other solutions, they can't, sometimes they don't go to school. Right. Um, and so it is a real challenge with real opportunities. And you have so many amazing women entrepreneurs coming up with all kinds of solutions around the world um, where we need to keep these girls in school. We need people feeling clean and comfortable to go to work. Um, and so it, it is a fundamental um, issue that had to be addressed very quickly. Um, and increasing- One young lady, Elizabeth, I have to tell you how creative because I believe she's a member of WeConnect. Uh, I can't start doing ads for people, but people can certainly Google and find products by keywords. One young lady who does produce those reusable pads, her key selling points were all you need is water and sunlight to keep it going. And, you know, we can get very comfortable in our new century thinking about what we need. But her point was, if you need a pad with my pads, all you need is water and sunlight to keep it going. And then she had little commercials about, oh, by the way, while you're out there hanging it to dry, get a little bit of that vitamin D. It's, it, it helps with uh, prevention of COVID. It helps with clearing of COVID. You know, very creative, very real, very basic, quite dynamic. Yeah, I think that it goes back to your point that when you allow um, communities that historically didn't have access to offer their solutions, we completely miss out on some really fundamental basic stuff um, that, that all of us, in rethinking what we really need um, and, and how much can be recycled. I mean, just all the materials of various types of materials that we have out there, 
we have so much stuff. And now I think there's a movement, especially the young folks are showing us how to do, how to repurpose almost everything. Um, and it just makes things more sustainable, but it also creates business opportunities. Um, and that's really, really exciting because there are so many places, especially in developing countries where they've literally become our dumping ground for the, the wealthier countries. And, and where, and where if, if all you need is water and sunlight, you may get the sunlight, but sometimes you can't get the water. And that's a huge issue. Women's access to clean water and energy, especially because women tend to be the ones that are preparing um, meals and other things for the, for the family and spending a lot of their time finding clean water sources, finding fuel sources. Um, it can be very precarious, literally physically dangerous, as well as just a huge time suck um, where they can't be productive because they're having to, to focus on these very basic things. Um, and, and so I think- them at risk. Oftentimes they make a decision collectively in a community about who's going to get water. We're not talking about turning on a tap we're talking about women who actually have to go get the water and tote and carry the water back home and um, make decisions that are impacted by that around childcare, or as you mentioned, school-aged children who are stronger than mom able to go get water. It Water is a big part of the discussion beyond whether you're drinking, washing, or cooking with it. Water, peace and security, you know, personal security, all these issues are interlinked. And when women are, are unable to have and build assets, it makes it very difficult to start and grow a business that can provide solutions and rethink and rebuild our infrastructure. I'm convinced that if women have more assets, how we build schools, how we build roads with light, um, in the evenings when it is so precarious, um, how we build things with wheels, like you said, instead of carrying the water on their backs or the wood on their heads, you know, how do we, you know, make sure, I know they know what the problems are, they know what local problems are, but if you don't have assets and you haven't been empowered or exposed to people like you, Janice, who to, you know, move from ideas into solutions um, and then take risks to diversify. Um, but if they don't know that Janice exists and that this can be done, it's really hard for someone to do something if it doesn't even occur to them to do it and they don't have the assets um, to make that happen. And, and, and sometimes it's not an individual decision, nor is it simply four of us women getting together or, or four of us citizens getting together. Um, sometimes, as you said, it is the access and, and, and WeConnect provides such a platform for access to information, not just access to procurement, uh, but helping people be informed in a way that circularly helps them to understand who their next customer can be or should be. Uh, water in Flint, Michigan was a problem. It, we're not just talking Africa. Water in Flint, Michigan was a problem and an example of that. And women have been very active in how we are looking at addressing that. Ir irrespective of politics, women have just been incredible to that, you know? 100%. And, and I can say with 
confidence, even though there has been almost no research done on this, but this concept of ESG, the, um, the environment, um, society, good governance, how corporations um, and other organizations rethink their role in society. Women who start and grow businesses are incredibly good at ESG. They tend to build into their business models as well as the solutions they actually provide, but in how they do business, they are with almost without exception they build things that are sustainable, that do no harm. And I mean, I've met of all the chemical manufacturers I know that um, are women owned, they are all clean and green. They are all non-toxic um, in how they build and, and invest in societies. Their business models are often based on how to fix societal challenges and problems, but they tend to hire differently. They tend to promote and provide benefits differently. Um, they tend to, in a lot of countries, um, be you know, less corruptible because they haven't been parts of corrupt systems. And they, you know, sometimes uh, to their detriment, won't participate in uh, business opportunities if they think that corruption is required. Um, and so I, I think we need to again, rethink um, how we do business. And, I, and I'm convinced that having more women being a part of starting and growing businesses will help to ensure that we are better on all the different measurements of what we need to be doing to have a healthy uh, planet and a healthy society. And I think Europe perfect example of your how you do business um it's baked into your model well you know women are a big part of our organization and speaking from data they're well over 65 percent of the organization but also speaking in terms of innovation women are in decision making roles and women are at the table they're not just serving the table and i think that's where you have made a big difference in what you do you know, we talk about women-owned businesses, Elizabeth. We're also talking about people. We're talking about a person. One of the things you do so well is bring a lot of joy with you wherever you are. I talked early in our conversation about seeing you at events and, you know, whenever someone's got a problem, you're that person who will kind of lean in, give a smile, and encourage us to do two things. One, let's decide if this is the problem we're talking about or where the problem is. And two, let's solve together. You know, nobody's on their own. Uh, so much of what you do in the process of uh, leading an organization, I think can be applied to individuals. Many of our family members listening right now don't run businesses, don't own businesses, are young people who still have to understand that their brand and their individual brand is their business and how to treat that and how to live and apply some of the lessons you teach many of your uh, women-owned businesses like me uh, to, uh, to take to heart and apply in your own personal lives. Let's make it personal. Talk with us about what we can do on the personal level to make sure that we are smiling as you are. You're as aware of what's going on out there as anybody and a lot closer to it and touching it than most of us, yet you're smiling. How do we do that as individuals? Get personal. 
So I honestly, I think I, for me personally, I, I feel like I don't have a choice because if you really stop and think of how much suffering there is in the world, it would paralyze me. It would literally paralyze me. I would be, and there have been times in my life where I have felt paralyzed, overwhelmed. You know, how do you begin to get up in the morning when there's so much tragedy and there's so many people suffering? And so at some point you have to decide that you're going to use that knowledge to do something about it, um, to make sure that those around you have a chance to do something about it um, and that you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to fix everything, but you do have to ask others and invite others to help you. And I think that is why you're so effective um, is you ask for help, um, but then you actually also roll up your sleeves and do the work. You don't sit back and wait for others, but you don't try to do it alone. And I think that's those are really basic, simple things, but that's why you're effective is <laughs> because you get that how things are today are not good enough. It's just simply not good enough. There are so many opportunities that we are um, not, that we're missing um, because sometimes we get comfortable with the way things are, but the way things are, are not acceptable. They're just simply not acceptable. And we're powerful as individuals. I mean, I keep talking about our purchasing power, but I honestly believe that it is one of the, the most fundamental ways in which we vote for the world that we want, the communities that we want. How we spend our money says everything about who we are and what we value. Well, you know, I understand that as a child beneficiary of the civil rights movement and the busing uh, 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 boycott. So while that was how we didn't spend our money, the flip side is equally true. Who we then from, and you know, so many of uh, my family who are listening right now are uh, young people who also are very thoughtful about uh, how companies treat the environment they care about, the people they care about, uh, and the transparency they care about. And they are making decisions to buy, and they are utilizing social media to inform. Um, there is so much chatter that sometimes you have to dig in to get the chat. Um, but COVID didn't make that happen. That was happening well in front of it. And I think it actually gave a platform to people during COVID to be better thoughtful or to find out that there are other people who think and care as I do. And I can be active even if I'm not there. I can help there. And I think all of that is a part of what you're talking about, yes? I think increasingly organizations that are trying to attract and retain talent have to recognize and are increasingly recognizing that especially the younger people, they are not going to work for organizations that they don't respect. And we have a level of transparency today that wasn't possible in the past. 
But if you don't treat your people well, and if you don't um, treat your suppliers well, and if you're doing things that are causing harm, um, as opposed to um, helping um, helping people and helping the planet, if you're not doing that, you will not attract new talent and you're certainly not gonna retain. People are looking for purpose. It's not enough to just offer a paycheck. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of people that will work for a paycheck and just for a paycheck because they have to pay their bills, but that does not mean they're gonna stay there. If they can get a paycheck, but also do something that is good for themselves and good for their families and good for their communities, they will take that opportunity. It is a major, major factor in how people are deciding where to give their time. And people are starting to recognize how valuable their time is. Um, and that they would, you know, if they have a choice between two opportunities and one of them allows them to do something good in the world, they are going to choose that second option. And so I, I think you're exactly right. I'm certain that Act One sees it every single day in, in looking at for um, talent and placing talent, um, that that is a driving factor more and more. Um, and it and I think that's a, that's a good thing for everyone. And more and more is important because more and more will be more and more now that companies have discovered that they can actually work differently. And we will be all going back to a, a life that we uh, lost a lot of post-COVID, but we're not going to go back to those same disciplines and protocols around where we work. And so there will be new ways for companies to recover or invent a better relationship with their customers and their communities. There will also be requirements on businesses, regardless of what size they are. We talk about companies who uh, offend or support ideas of a population, a customer population. That is in some ways even more immediate and stronger for your supplier companies than for their customers because they're supplying very often right in the communities they live in and people will be demanding of things they care about that are outside the product or service they're buying that you engage in uh, and they'll see it a lot quicker, won't they? I love the way the organizations we work with are reaching out to their communities to co-create solutions. I mean, it's really, really an exciting time because technology makes that process efficient in a way that it wasn't possible in the past. So they're not just putting out stuff out there, they're inviting their community, especially through their supply chain, to come in and help them anticipate needs and to co-create together. And I think it's also a recognition that most people going forward are not going to be looking for an organization where they can park themselves for 20 years. Um, that is the, the young people, they just don't assume that, that, that that's just not at all in anyone's head anymore that I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to find my job and that's where I'm going to be. And I'm going to climb a ladder for the rest of my life, the same organization. I love that everyone is starting to recognize that, that it's important to give especially this is true for women, a space to have flexibility in their life where they can step out of a, a full-time job and move to part-time or leave it for a while and be able to unwrap back on more easily. 
and also, I, also Elizabeth, uh, right in there, hold that thought. Uh, many, many people are thinking in terms of duo doers as well. They are not looking to have a job and then do this. They are, they are thinking of themselves around their cottage industries, their entrepreneurship, while working for you, not working for you to go do that. And so I think that there is an education. I mean, we are at Act One Group, we deliver a, 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 a talent communities to companies and how you hire today is very different than how you hired 10 years ago. What you look for, do you remember the days when people would question your stability if you hadn't worked for more than three to five years within a discipline, not just at a certain company, but within a discipline they were searching? Many times people are hiring you today, three to five years, if you've not changed, you've not grown because the technology or the, or, 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 the, or the platform language has advanced beyond you. So uh, we, we're seeing, you know, I've said for a long time, history happens a lot quicker these days, a lot faster these days, but wow, people don't even ask for a five-year business plan. They want to know what's happening in 18 months, you know, what's happening in two years. And so um, I think the adeptness, the agility, and the connectedness at the local level that many women have can become a huge advantage in putting ourselves forward, whether we're doing that as employees or employers, yes? I would hire someone who has started their own business over someone who's never had a business 100% of the time. That doesn't mean everyone who works for me has owned a business. I'm just saying, if I have a choice between two candidates and they're equally skilled and they have, you know, a lot to equal amount of value to add, but one of them has owned a business, I will pick the person who has been an entrepreneur. That's someone who's willing to take risks. That's someone who believed in themselves. That's someone who sees that there's a problem and that they can offer a solution to the world. So you're exactly right. This idea that you either get a job or you start a business and you're a business owner is not at all accurately reflecting the reality that everyone is thinking entrepreneurially and you want entrepreneurs. You want people who go in and out of business ownership, but who have also had you know, jobs and can work for others and with others. Um, and I think that provides everyone with so much more choice um, that, you know, you can have your job, but in the evenings or the weekends, you're putting your stuff up or you're, I mean, my kid, 14, just started their own business. They cleared $1,500 in one day where people mm -hmm. came up at an open market and said, this is fun. This is something I want to pay money for. Um, and it's so rewarding and empowering because now my kid knows that they're never going to be homeless, right? They, they can, they now know how to source, how to package, how to promote. I want everyone to encourage their kids to go to a marketplace um, and, you know, offer their stuff, learn to take no, um, learn to get feedback from, from people. Um, I just, I love the way the world is changing so that people feel they have more choices about what they do. I think it's really empowering. More choices and more voices. Exactly. And we're 
all better off when that happens. I, I, I agree with you so much. You talked about uh, women-owned businesses uh, and smaller businesses being able to pivot quickly and more thoughtfully. I want to pivot our conversation quickly and thoughtfully to, um, to you. So you're doing all this stuff. You're leading the charge. How have you uh, taken care of yourself personally through this? I think people can learn from you uh, from that level as well. Wow, that's a, that's a hard question for me because like everyone, um, I've, I've found ways to um, keep the job that I love um, and innovate, um, cause you have to, you know, you have to rethink what you're doing and, and always remember your purpose. You know, for what reason am I doing the work that I'm doing? I have the good fortune to get to do things that I'm passionate about, um, that I would do frankly, regardless of pay, um, because I, I love it. Um, but I also have a board of directors of corporations that believe in fair compensation and recognition for, for work, good work that's being done. And so that allows me to do what I do for my family and my community, but it also makes, it ensures that I'm paying and attracting, you know, really fantastic talent. I mean, I only am able to be successful in my work because I have an incredible team around me of people who are passionate about what they do and they feel like you know it's it's worthy of their time and of their efforts um none of us are able to do what we do except for the people around us who love us and who support us and so I recommend like my Christy P at your organization <laughs> agreed I mean we can't do what we do Janice right if we didn't have just brilliant people all around us constantly challenging us and anticipating things that that we don't see around the corner um, but that they do and so in giving them that space for them to grow and to challenge us um, and to constantly expect more and better um, and and to help us deliver because uh, we're great on the ideas side um, but at the end of the day you know you need people who can convert that into um, actions and doing things on the ground um, and scaling um, what we start. So uh, I, I do recognize how important it is to have these strong teams. Um, and I, I, I've had a hard time. I mean, not gonna lie, um, uh, finding out that I have diabetes. Um, my mother had diabetes and deciding I don't want to take insulin. So, you know, having to drop 50 pounds during COVID when all I wanted to do was eat sweet stuff and, mm -hmm. and you know, do all the things that make you comfortable, especially when you're sitting in a home office, you know, all day long and you can't go to the restaurants that you love. You can't visit, you know, the places that you love and, and commune with the people that you care about and have special meals together. Um, and, and so I, you know, there's anxiety and there's pressure. And so, um, for me to, to, to focus on my mental and my physical health, probably for the first time in 20 years, because I, I used to travel just nonstop. And when you travel a lot, there's lots of excuses to not take care of Don't yourself. I know. <laughs> right? 
lots of reasons why you can't take care of yourself, exercise, drink lots of water, um, eat the right foods. Um, so it, it really, again, out of tragedy, um, gave me an opportunity to rethink how I value my this vessel that I have been given. Are, are you doing well with it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I dropped the 50 pounds. I drink water every day. I um, actually, you know, focus on 10,000 steps um, and the other type of, of uh, and you've always taken good care of yourself. I have historically done a horrible job of taking care of myself. And I always use the excuse that I don't have time. I'll do it, you know, someday. And then all of a sudden, um, I, I was in a situation that I put myself in where I had to take care of myself. Uh, and as a result, I'm better able to take care of others. Um, and so, be an example to your daughter. Mm, so my kid, yeah, has also been through their own challenges and um, they are non-binary and they go by them, they, them now. And so that's okay. been a real learning experience uh, for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so, so how, how, tell us as much as you care to share, as much as they care to share. Tell us how that uh, happened for you. I know so many of our family listening right now will be interested, informed, supported, uh, and, and, and honestly, a lot better people for knowing from your experience. I forgot. Share with us. Yes. Yeah. So that was interesting because my kid was in a school environment that was just not at all for them welcoming um, and not at all designed for a time of COVID to provide flexibility. And so actually for my kid, um, being out of that environment and studying from home um, gave them space to think about who they are um, and be more comfortable sharing with me and our family and our community who they are um, and who Had they are. Have you had any big conversations before COVID or was that a gift of COVID? It was a gift of COVID. Okay. And I think part of it was the age, right? It's it's when um, they became more self-aware, their body was changing and just not feeling comfortable um, being born female, assigned female, but realizing, you know what? I don't really feel that I am female, but that doesn't mean I want to be a guy either. So for them recognizing that I'm non-binary, um, meaning I'm I'm comfortable with being neither and I'm comfortable with being both. Um, but you know, for them having they, them pronouns, which is incredibly hard for in a, a very, you realize how binary our world is. Our, our world is set up, our societies are set up to pick one. So, you know, you gotta pick one. You're either male right. or you're female. When, um, when we you know, know that in life, two things can be true or more than one thing can be true. Um, when, 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 when our kids were born, I was blessed enough to live in a place in the United States where it had race on the birth certificate I was able to put human. And I am very proudly African-American and very decidedly African-American. Now, there are many many uh, 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 races and, and, and ethnicities and everything that have fed to me being a black woman, okay? So I got the gift and the curse of making that decision and having it made for me various points in my life. Certainly I understand then and embrace the right of 
everyone to be able to make decisions in the healthy, supportive environment that we all deserve. For me, it was race uh, and um, society decided for me that I was African-American regardless of what my mother and father's genetics said. Um, and you met enough of my family to know, depending on who you look at, you may not think we're all black, <laughs> you know. Um, but back to back to the wholesome discussion you're having, and I say wholesome deliberately because so often these conversations in larger communities, you and I work uh, very closely in cause-based uh, uh, environments. So I think we listen and hear more frequently, sometimes more robustly, these conversations than others will have. And it's such a gift you're bringing to be able to talk about the experience in your own family this way, uh, because it's not always a happy, fun, chummy, nor accepted conversation. If, if you know people who, or know of people who are, in a position where they, the, this conversation can occur. What is some of the advice you give to them, especially so much of my uh, family of listeners who are, um, have a heart around people, but they're not there yet, you know, or they don't believe they want to go there. Um, I don't believe in pushing people. I do believe in good leadership. How would you help people to understand where you are and where you would like to see the world on this discussion? I, I would love to see a world that is welcoming of all different backgrounds, all different experiences, and that we embrace the fact that we all come from different backgrounds and have different experiences and different ways of looking at things. I just think it makes it a more fun, more interesting world. Um, and I think when, when we put ourselves in boxes and we put others in boxes um, and we try to uh, define in advance what people are capable of, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what's acceptable in, in, in the spaces that we're talking about right now, um, I think it just does everyone a huge disservice. And so what I've learned in the last six months on this journey with my kid um, is that uh, the world is not always very welcoming and not very understanding. And they miss out on having this amazing spirit amongst them um, who is now this you know, powerful entrepreneur um, and who can have ideas and wake up in the morning and in the evening they've created um, you know, these amazing pieces of art that they can share with the rest of the world to bring some joy to others. Uh, and what a tragedy that, that the vast majority of kids who have that awareness, instead of sharing it, will take their own life. And that is just you know, devastating to understand the numbers. Um, the suicide rates are, are really hard to fathom. So you've always been aware and aware person, uh, but now you are an engaged person uh, with, with your child. What are some of the data points that you've learned? I know you've done the work. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the suicide rates for, for trans kids, um, non-binary kids, I think it's something like 60% attempted suicides. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a mind-boggling um, statistic that there are so many kids that are um, raised in communities where they don't feel welcomed and they don't feel that their life is, is worth living. Uh, and that has to stop. It just, it, it, it's, we, it's such a tragedy on so many fronts. The idea that, you know, I may not have been able to enjoy my kid um, because they didn't feel, if they had not felt loved and supported and respected and welcomed. Um, and, I, and I just think that there's so many aspects of diversity, right? This happens to be part of who they are. It doesn't define them. It is a part of who they are. But to not have um, a welcoming community because you're, you know, something different than what these ideals are supposed to look like um, is just um, something that's intolerable for me. And I'm just not willing to um, be quiet about them. Uh, I, instead, I want us to be happy that we have so many different backgrounds and people with different experiences and to just recognize how fortunate we all are um, to have access to people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different ways of doing things. Um, and that we need to, to, to frankly leverage it <laughs> because uh, it's just gonna make the world a lot more fun. Um, a lot of people uh, who I have heard address this subject and I have people who I know and people who I love who come from different places on this conversation. Um, a lot of people believe that um, it that these decisions are made when kids are young and they've been influenced into them or that they get locked in and can't make changes if we support those decisions in physical or biologically impacting ways. Uh, I also heard someone say just last week, Elizabeth, that um, their child told them, no, I always knew I didn't feel comfortable to talk about it until now. And even now they were not comfortable, but they felt you know, inspired and required to talk about it. Um, and so um, I think that that's a frontier that we've got a lot of work to do on. And like you, I will smile at work because I welcome an opportunity to make impactful change. Um, but the statistics and the data that you have, that you share and can share, around this, um, they teach us a lot, don't they? Yeah, I, I, I just feel like um, we need to do better in, in being inclusive and to welcome different experiences, different perspectives. Um, and, 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 and you know what? I'm so glad you said inclusive this time because we've been talking in terms of diversity and I'm always encouraging people, if you're gonna have a conversation about diversity, can we also have one about inclusion? And is there any chance we can get those to, at some point in our lives, be that same discussion? Because they definitely are not. You know, 
um, years ago, I shared this before, I think even on one of your platforms, uh, I have family from England and Nana Gracie came here and she's this little white Yorkshire woman with the biggest heart and, you know, uh, for love in the world, always welcomed me um, and loved me preciously. And I took her to an American supermarket because she wanted to go into a supermarket, right? This is years ago. And she walked and she at first was very impressed with it. And, you know, the color, the layout and, you know, the selections. But when it came down to making a decision about what we were taking home, she got very frustrated. It became very difficult. And uh, her decisions were difficult. And she asked me at one point, well, do you just have this? And I said, I do think we have that here with all these selections. She said, wow. She said, that's what I'm used to. And I thought, what a great conversation on diversity and inclusion. The story didn't stop there, but the point is made in there. Many times people think that they can celebrate diversity by inviting you to uh, respond to a bid or inviting you to be a part of something they're putting on. But that's part of the conversation. Inclusion is what was in her basket when she walked out of that store. She had a diverse selection of everything she was looking to shop for. But what she chose to walk out of that store with was her idea of inclusion in that moment. Now, she did make a selection and she actually loved the selection she made and she could still cook her Yorkshire food well with it. Uh, and she found out that she wanted some to take home, okay, with her and share it and let others be able to find out about this product. But so often we make choices in life in that way. And it's not coming from a bad place. I made the point to tell you, Nana Grace is a wonderful cook and a loving person. But when she went into that supermarket, she loved it up front. The idea of all of this was great. But when she had to make a decision about what she was selecting, it got real hard and tempting to leave with nothing. But she was smart and bold enough to step out of her comfort, read the labels and make a decision around, read the ingredients on the label, not just look at the label and make a decision. And she walked out proud and she ended up happy. And I think that's kind of what you're rallying for with people too. I love being around people that are curious. I love people that try new things. I love that I have so many more choices when I invite others to engage in a conversation or an activity um, or building something. Uh, it just makes it more fun and you get, you get better outcomes. I mean, it's just, it's a fact when you have more choice, you have better outcomes. Um, so being ignorant of what's out there and not, not, taking advantage. I mean, if you look at it from what's in it for me perspective, you totally miss out when you're not inclusive, when you don't invite others um, to share in your needs um, and in your opportunities. So I think that's really what we've been talking about is, is and how we put expectations of and to people. Um, going back to our children, 
how we put expectations in front of our children, how we identify their choices they have as very young children based on how we see them before we learn how they see the world and how they see themselves. And uh, whether that's gender, whether that is uh, career, whether that is uh, a choice of being in the band or being uh, on the uh, being in the band or being on the football team, we we oftentimes um, put expectations on our kids that very young they live up to for us, or they create confusion for them. And I think that expands across the whole diaspora, the whole beautifully uh, kaleidoscopic choice of how we choose to be humans and how we choose to serve humanity. And I think it's, it's an interesting mix of what you said that some, you know, I, I think a lot of parents um, want their kids to change in some ways and not change in other ways. Um, but when it comes to like the LGBT community that, oh, maybe this is a phase, right? It's really popular uh, right now for, for kids to, to experiment. Um, but at the end of the day, what I'm learning is, you know, these kids, when they sleep at night, they dream about and Elizabeth, I think it will be real important. Say that as well. I think it will be real important to make the point here that when we're talking gender, we're not just talking about sexual choice. Very often, uh, young people identify their gender before they experience any sexual uh, uh, kind of energy. Is that true? Exactly. And that's what I love. Like even the toy manufacturers are starting to recognize they have more customers if they're not trying to force half the population to buy only one set of things and the other half of the population to buy the other set of things. That, that the kids have more choice when um, it's not gender specific. Um, they have more customers trying different things and experimenting with um, tractors and dolls and everything in between. Um, and, and we build a better society that thinks more broadly about um, you know the toys that could be created, uh, not just you know for kids, but all the things that we love to do as an adult, and we don't limit ourselves um, because of you know what we've been told we're allowed to do or not allowed to do, and that actually impacts career choices. Um, when you know back in the day when women had the choice of either being a secretary or a nurse or a teacher, um, those are false choices. When we're perfectly capable of doing. Choices, but they're not the collective. Wonderful choices, wonderful choices. Um, and, you know, women, especially in the care economy, are just, whether it's because for whatever sets of reasons, we're really good in the care economy. Um, and so we want to continue to be strong in the care economy, but we also want opportunities to be strong in manufacturing and things that require physical, you know, physical labor, which there are actually. Now you're getting into my neck of the woods because. I am all about women in STEM. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I was just, you know, in working with um, uh, different extractives industry sectors that a lot of the corporations we work with where there's laws in countries that say that women are not allowed to work in certain sectors. And that's because of what has to be lifted. But now with technology, anyone can work these forklifts. And it turns out 
women are actually better employees in a lot of these precarious um, uh, uh, sectors where heavy machinery is required because women are really good on the precision um, and they show up and they're, you know, able to focus. And um, there are issues with safety concerns that women are highly attuned to those things and making sure that, you know, they're, uh, um, uh, frankly, um, you know, sober. <laughs> and, you know, it, you know, uh, no, honestly, I mean, and it's again, it's not that men are show up drunk and they're not able to pay. No, mind, body, detail. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I, I just think opening up all these opportunities and having guys in sectors where, you know, they, you know, typically didn't show up. We have so many amazing men nurses, for example, um, that provide such wonderful care, but giving everyone an opportunity to, to do what it is they love and that they're really good at, um, regardless of their ethnicity or physical or mental abilities or, uh, you know, gender assignments. Um, I, I just, I, I think it, it will just make it better for, for everyone. You know, someone I love dearly shared with me that World War II uh, brought women into new areas of opportunity, responsibility, and uh, conversation. And we all have our Rosie the Riveter uh, pictures somewhere, right? And we pull them out from time to time and look at them if we've not kept them present to us. Um, but what gender she said uh, to me was, you know, um, World War II brought women out, uh, but you don't have to have a war to have a revolution. And COVID and the uh, economy and the social justice issues that have all hit us in the face out loud right now, uh, give us opportunity for revolution without war. We can all work together on this. Elizabeth, when I think of you, I think of revolution in the absence of war. And I am just so, so thrilled and educated and hugged and inspired every time I'm in your presence. Um, and I got to do four for four with you right now. And I'm just so excited about it. In the spirit of our conversation, please know you can go more than four. You can't go less than four. Okay. So. <laughs> Here's your first question in four for four. Um, you get to invite four people to dinner from any period in history, live or transcended. Who do you invite to dinner? Oh my goodness. Um, oh, wow. First and foremost, um, uh, I would love to have you there with me. So oh, okay. I would love okay. to have uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Um, I would love to have. Oh, oh, and you have to say why. So you can, I'll be there and I'll help you serve that dinner. Give me four other people and tell me why. Although I'm curious why you want me there too, girl. I think I know and I'm, I'm not turning down my invitation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we would, we would have a lot of fun learning from these people um, and to think of reinvent how we do things. Literally, yeah. like how do we win hearts and minds? to fundamentally change our systems. Um, and we- You got Mahatma Gandhi. 
Yeah, so definitely um, for, I, I think, obvious reasons, right? And be the change you want to be. So if you don't like the way things are, um, let's make sure that you're not waiting around for someone else to fix stuff, but you know, you got to fix it yourself. Um, I, I think um, I would actually love to have Christine Lagarde. Um, she's just a rock star who understands big systems and, and how to change them and fight for what you believe in for inclusion as you do the business that needs to be done. Um, and so I, you know, she, she would be amazing. Um, and then uh, I would love to have the Buddha. Um, I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for. I'm not sure if on my podcast, the Buddha has been invited before. I'm going to have to go back and check. Why is Buddha coming to our dinner? Being reminded of being present, of being centered, of being mindful, of being kind, of happiness, of joy. All of those things are, are challenges for me. Um, being, being present is just very, very difficult. So I think there are just some real simple, basic critical life lessons that, that he has shared with all of us um, in passing down his story over time. Um, I, I would really enjoy the, the historic um, lessons to be learned with modern day challenges and opportunities. And I think that a store, a, a conversation with all four of you would, would be so enlightening um, as an opportunity to- Wow, to you've got that. me at dinner with these incredible people. What an honor. What, oh wow, what a responsibility to live up to that invitation. <laughs> uh, hey, Elizabeth. Four things you're reading right now that you care to share with our family listening. Oh, that's a good question. So a lot of what I, how I learn in the world is actually being in the world. So the, what I read are, is more in the news snippets from all over different types of publications that come out daily because there's just so much happening on a day-to-day -day basis especially you're reading it electronic or print yeah it's all electronic um, and it's okay. all real time um mm -hmm. and it's about you know what's happening in the moment but also um what's what's coming um and a lot of that isn't I'm not reading stuff to look backwards. I'm reading stuff to understand the moment mm -hmm. and what's happening going forward and usually you know, it's not that it's out of date because there are a lot of old things that are always current, um, but it's it's more sources of future forward, real-time action oriented um, of, of what leaders are doing to think about the future, whether it's what's happening with Tesla um, or what's happening um, uh, in economic development um, with some of the, you know, top leaders in the development space. Um, those are the kinds of things that I'm focused on. And, and usually um, I'm traveling a lot. So I, I want to see it, right? I want to be a part of it. I want to sm smell, taste, feel it, um, as opposed to 
reading about it. Um, but I, it's been, that has been the hardest thing for me. One of the hardest things with COVID is, is needing to experience, experience everything virtually, um, and not, not experiencing it and touching it myself. Are there any particular news sources that you like that you know you got to run to as soon as you brush your teeth? Yeah, certainly one of the first things, um, what's happening with the BBC, but then I'm also looking at local news sources of what's happening in India, local sources of what's happening in Africa. There's a lot of great publications out of South Africa, for example. Um, there are great publications in Asia of what's happening um, there. Uh, I love to see what companies like Amazon and Alibaba, um, you know, what is it that the that everyone is is looking for um, what what are they searching for um, for solutions to problems <laughs> weird sources diverse sources oh no 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 years ago back when the Staples Center first opened in Los Angeles that's many years we're talking and I was in my suite and Dick Gregory walked in accidentally but there are no accidents right um, and um, he had all these newspapers and I was looking at them and they were from, you know, what we might call opposing viewpoints. And I was like, wow, you, and he told me, he said, um, it's very important. I share with him that I travel a lot. And back then we used to pick up newspapers when we would have stopovers, remember those days? And he told me, he thought it would be very important for me to not just read from one side of the press. He said, read from the other side and very often you'll find the truth somewhere in there, you know? And he said, that is how he stayed informed was to not limit himself to go where he already was, you know? But to challenge himself to find out where other people were on matters. And he said, that's how he thought he was able to evolve. That's also how he got to the place of, uh, of his diet and, and, and adjusting himself as well um, and weight loss. Uh, so yeah, you, you, you're, you remind me of Dick Gregory on that point, you know? Then he got up and went over to Magic Johnson's suite, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I especially love that because you also, when you do that, often the news is talking about the same or similar topics, but from a totally different perspective. And you're exactly right. He was exactly right you start to figure out what truth is because you're getting all these different data points about the same thing, but totally also, different on it. Yeah, and, and, and another good thing about that is yesterday, uh, Pastor was saying, you know, uh, it's real good to be able to uh, understand how someone else speaks. And he was using the conversation around Peter and Paul, and he was saying, Paul was sent in to talk with the Greeks because he understood the language. He could speak the language. It wasn't because he was any better informed or better than Peter, but he could speak the language. I pray I got Pastor right on that. But the point was, and I didn't flip the disciples, but the point he was making was that, you know, we are best tooled to do certain things when we understand who we're serving to, not just what we're serving from. And I think Dick Gregory uh, saw that if I want to share an opinion, there's value in me learning someone else's opinion, 
there's also a gift in my sharing my opinion if I understand their language and where they are. So, you know, it becomes a circle instead of that box you're talking about that we put people in. Um, so yeah, I love that you're, that, that, that you're uh, going to your devices and you're being able to uh, read in the, in the current so you can think about where people are thinking toward. I love that. And I think that's a very good tip for all of our family who are listening. Uh, they've been shared many books, many great books that they should read. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad with that if that's where you're leaving it. Um, four things you're listening to. Now, typically that is artists and music, but some people have shared particular podcasts or you know shows that they're watching that they think have relevance to the moment. So go for the four. We're totally inclusive. <laughs> so it's interesting um, because I'm spending so much more time with my kid. Um, a lot of music that's very popular on TikTok. <laughs> so um, actually, I'm finding a lot of that content um, fascinating and uh, sourced from all different perspectives from all over the world. So there's a lot of new music. A lot of it I don't like. It's very harsh. Um, and I Are there any particular it. artists? Because we build playlists from what you share. Um, I mean, a lot of it's very poetic. I mean, but it's it's not someone you would expect. A Billie Eilish of the world, you know? It's just, I, I just you know, what she's able to do in very unconventional ways to tell stories. Um, I, I just think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think she was in the news this morning for what she's doing in Europe right now. Yeah, I just, I feel like she really challenges um, a lot of assumptions about everything from uh, body image to the role of um, uh, a young female artist in the world. Um, and, I, and I think it just, it, I see how especially um, young people react to the messages that, that um, she shares about just being yourself um, and, and having fun, uh, but also just being very critical of um, a lot of the assumptions of the role that they're supposed to be playing. I just, everything about it, I just, I think is fun and I love it. Um, so Billie Eilish is one, who else? And, and then you have other stuff that is old, but I'm I'm just loving some of the stuff that um, uh, uh, I'm blinking out on her name, um, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, uh, just some of the basics that that um, I, are are just you know truths um, that you know, you, you can't get away from. Um, and then I'm listening to some podcasts that uh, have come out of some friends doing work on uh, women's economic empowerment from Seneca um, Global. And um, they're coming up with a whole series of podcasts. Uh, one of them is on women's business ownership, but there, there are a series of them and they're doing it with XM. Um, and I, it's just, you know, very inspiring um, to tell their stories. Um, and then uh, there's, I mean, I tend to listen to a lot of the things that are coming out on the economic development um, 
um, space. So they have, you know, annual general meetings uh, that the World Bank um, convenes. And so listening to all of those different um, presentations to get to hear from policymakers about what is it they're doing to uh, change, um, change the economy so that it helps their people. Um, so listening to a, a lot on the policy kind of policy wonk side. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh my goodness. Well, we're coming to four for four. Four pieces of advice that have been shared with you that you want to share forward right here, right now. Ooh, be brave. Mm -hmm. um, love with all your heart. Two. Listen. Three. Take action. Four. Wow. You are all of that and you are an example and an instruction to us on how we can be that too. I just love you so, so much. We are now going to share forward all of the companies that comprise uh, membership as women-owned businesses in WeConnect. And we're doing this because Elizabeth Vasquez is an incredible leader along with Michael, and they are just gifting to the world. Um, it's my dream that you and I can hug each other in person very soon. The reality is that you hug me every day by your example. And I am so, so honored that you've been a guest here. Is there anything else you want to say right now in this moment beyond that? Janice, I know how fortunate I am to get to have you as my friend. Uh, I think of you every day and I, and I am always inspired by how you give back. The fact that you, after running all of these businesses and supporting, I don't know how many different organizations, the generosity of spirit, um, of how you don't just talk about creating a better world, you are actively out there building a better world. And the fact that you spend an hour talking with me, um, you have access to all the world's leaders. They're all listening to you and looking for advice and guidance um, in the public sector and private sector and um, being a role model. Because so often we have these incredible role models, but they don't slow down um, to share their stories. Uh, and so the fact that you spend your time doing things like this um, to give others access to knowledge and, and networks um, that, that they can take advantage of is, I just have nothing but gratitude. Um, I, I so appreciate being included in a conversation with you. Um, and I am very much looking forward to a day when we can hang out um, and celebrate um, what we were all able to do um, during this, this time of, of challenge. I mean, yours is the only conference out there of its scale that has people from all over the world coming dressed however they want to be represented. And it's always, I think people talk about fashion statements. It's always the best statement when I see your guest all 
dressed however they feel representative of so many cultures and so much hope and so much confidence and so much inclusion. Elizabeth, it's been a joy. And from my heart to your home, I wish you love. Thank you. I love you very much, Janice. Thank you for allowing me to, to be a part of your community.